Hey everybody, and welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I'm back with more stories from the book of Daniel today, and before I get started, here's a quick recap. The king of the Empire of Babylon invaded Israel and took many people captive, including Daniel and three other boys. Um, and Daniel and the other boys grew up in Babylon, being trained to be a wise man who served the king. And Daniel became the best and most important wise man because God was with him and revealed mysteries to him. The Most High God, also referred to as the Lord God, sent the king a dream which Daniel interpreted, saying that his kingdom would end and be replaced by another kingdom. And then that kingdom would be replaced, and that kingdom would be replaced. Um, and the king was like, okay, good to know. And then the king gave Daniel a new Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar meant, meant um, Bel protect the life of the king. And I think Bel was like one of their gods. They had a lot of gods. Uh, the name Daniel actually meant God is my judge. And that's pretty relevant because even though King Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel a name that was a prayer for his own protection, Daniel's name in his own language meant God would judge. And that's what happened in the last story to Nebuchadnezzar when God temporarily ruined his life and took away his kingdom because Nebuchadnezzar didn't admit that God was actually the greatest king. Well, the king, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar, on three separate occasions made declarations about how the Most High God, a.k.a. Daniel's God, a.k.a. the Hebrew God, a.k.a. the God that's, you know, the Lord God in basically all the podcast, was the best, most powerful God, and you were just, should respect that God a lot or else. But Babylon had, like, a lot of gods, and that never really changed. And that's about it for the recap. Eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar died, and his son or grandson or some other relative took his place as king. The new king was named Belshazzar, which sounds a bit like the name the old king gave, gave Daniel. Um, it had a similar meaning. It meant protect the king. Um, and despite that this king, Belshazzar, would have grown up hearing the story about how the Most High God humbled his forefather, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar didn't really respect that god. Actually, he, he actively disrespected that god. One day, he had this big party for the rich people in his kingdom, and they were all gathered in this one room. There was a lot of drinking, and out of all the tableware in the entire kingdom that he probably had access to, he used the special holy golden cups and plates that King Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the sacred temple of the Lord God in Jerusalem, like he, you know, he... he kidnapped a bunch of people and made them slaves, like Daniel. And then he, he also stole the holy artifacts from the temple. And you remember maybe that God is pretty particular about his holy artifacts? Like how anyone who touched the Ark of the Covenant would die, so they had to put poles on it to move it, and even so, only ceremonially cleaned priests could carry the Ark. And not everything was as holy as the Ark, but everything was pretty holy, and like God doesn't want you messing with his stuff or disrespecting it. And here is King Belshazzar having a wild drinking party with God's cups, and he's not even scared. <laughs> well, he wasn't scared yet. So uh, God wasn't too happy about this disrespect, because God takes respect very seriously. Not only did they drink out of God's personal holy tableware when they drank their wine, they drank it and they were like, um, toast to the god of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone and all these different gods. And no, no sooner had they finished speaking their praises to those gods than they saw a hand appear, like the hand of a man, but just floating in the air. 
pretty creepy. And the hand stretched out one finger and it began writing and it just like dug into the plaster on the wall and it carved these shapes out. And everyone was really freaked out to see this disembodied hand writing on the wall. You may have heard the term, the writing on the wall. This story is where it comes from. Anyway, they were freaked out. And King Belshazzar, his face turned pale and he trembled with fear so much. He was shaking so much that his knees knocked together and his bones rattled around. And uh, he sent, of course, for all the wise men and astrologers and anyone in Babylon who had anything to do with magic or spirits. And uh, some of them came and he promised them rewards like you can have this valuable clothing and you can have you can be like one of the most important people in the kingdom if you will tell me what these letters on the wall are saying and interpret what they mean because he couldn't read them and he couldn't understand them but nobody there could read or interpret what the writing on the wall meant and the big room they were parting in was like all these nobles and wise men and they were all afraid and when no one could explain what had happened then the king was more terrified than ever and there's this general panicky chatter happening well, the queen mother, probably King Belshazzar's mom, she heard that everyone had stopped partying and started panicking. She could tell something had gone really wrong. I don't know, maybe it's like a parent thing where you just sense, oh no, something is not right. So she came sweeping into the feast hall and said, may the king live forever. Don't worry. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the most holy gods in him. In the days of the previous king, it was proven this person is intelligent and wise. King Nebuchadnezzar recognized his wisdom and put him in charge of all the wise men because this man, Daniel, and everyone's like, ah, oh, Daniel, we've heard of him. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was extraordinarily wise, and he was able to explain mysteries and riddles. Therefore, you must call Daniel. He will be able to explain this. And I love that, like, they just wait to mention Daniel until this dramatic moment. Like, like you're reading this chapter, and it's like, this here's King Belshazzar, but where's Daniel? Well, boom, the wisest of all men, only he wasn't there. So they had to summon him especially. So they bring him before the king in this room where the writing is there on the wall. And the king saw him and he's like, are you, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles the king brought here? I've heard you have wisdom. None of the wise men who I summoned could read this writing, but I've heard you may be able to solve this riddle. If you can tell me what the writing means, I will give you fancy rewards, and I will give you an important position in the kingdom. And Daniel was like, uh, keep your rewards, but I can read this, and I will tell you what it means. And then Daniel did a big recap, which was usually my job. He reminded King Belshazzar of King Nebuchadnezzar, how people in every country were afraid of him, how he killed anyone he wanted to kill and saved anyone he wanted to save, but he became proud and he was driven out of his kingdom and changed into a wild animal and lived with the donkeys, and eventually he recognized that the Most High God is the real king. But even though Belshazzar knew all this, he was still proud and didn't respect the Most High God, instead praising other gods who aren't even listening because they don't have ears, says Daniel, and not praising the God who has the power over his life. Daniel just put it all out there. And I feel like he doesn't have the same concern for this guy that he expressed for the previous king. Maybe he's tired of the proud shenanigans, which he has outlined here. Because of all that, said Daniel, he sent this hand to make this inscription. 
and he read the writing to them. The writing had these words, Mini Mini Tackle Parson. And in the text, it's like in all caps, so it looks really foreboding. Uh, Mini meant numbered, and Tackle meant weighed, and Parson meant divided. So in English, it says numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. And I don't know why no one could read it. Were they magically made unable to parse the letters? Was it in some language or alphabet they didn't know? But anyways, that's what the words were. Numbered times two, weighed and divided. And of course, it didn't make any more sense to them than it probably does to you on the first hearing. So Daniel explained it to King Belshazzar. He said, numbered means God has numbered the days of your kingdom. It's ending. And Daniel doesn't say it, but back when Joseph was interpreting Pharaoh's dream in Genesis, something being repeated, like something happening twice, meant it would happen soon. So that's probably what it means here. Maybe everyone already knows that about how dreams work. Then Daniel explained, Tekel, weighed, means, means you have been weighed and found lacking. And Parson, divided, means your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And once he heard this message, King Belshazzar was even more terrified. Like, I didn't know he could get more terrified than his knees rattling around, but he could. He Still, he gave Daniel the rewards he promised him, and then that very same night, the king was killed and the country was taken over by Darius the Mede, and thus began the empire of the Medes and Persians and the end of the great kingdom of Babylon. And a little historical side note, uh, that's basically what happened to Babylon. It was taken over by the Medes and Persians when Belshazzar was king, and Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon. That much we know from contemporary documents. This story, though, was written a couple hundred years after the fall of Babylon happened, and it differs from history in significant details. For example, Darius wasn't the king then, which lets us know the writer was writing a legend, not a history book. Uh, well, anyways, King Darius, the new king, had a lot of newly conquered kingdom to rule, so he just took from King Belshazzar's best men to set up 120 governors for smaller areas, with uh, three administrators over them, and Daniel was one of those three administrators. But it didn't take long for Darius to realize that Daniel was the best of them all. So King Darius wanted Daniel to be in charge of all the administrators and governors, the most important person in the kingdom besides King Darius, but, you know, doing the actual work instead of King Darius. The governors and other administrators didn't like this because they were jealous that there was a person more important than them, and probably they were also racist and upset that a Jewish man from another country would be more important than them. And now remember, Daniel was a faithful Jew, and among all the gods of Babylon and the Persians, he only prayed to, worshipped, and obeyed the Most High God. But that was apparently very different and unusual, different from most of the people in the kingdom. So uh, the gov governors and administrators, they spied on Daniel. They, they sent people to follow him around. They went through his papers. They probably interviewed people to their dismay, they couldn't find anything bad about him. He didn't cheat. He didn't steal. He took care of people. People liked him. He was honest. They were just really upset to find that he was in general a very good person and good at his job. Bad news for people who hate Daniel. <laughs> so they didn't have any evidence to show the king that would convince the king to get rid of Daniel. In fact, they were certain there wasn't any such evidence of him being bad at his job. It just doesn't exist. 
but they were still committed to getting rid of him. So they got together and made a plan for how to get rid of Daniel without it necessarily looking like they were getting rid of Daniel because like the king likes him and typically you don't try to get rid of people the king likes unless you can get the king not to like him. So they kind of wanted to seem like it was King Darius's own idea to get rid of Daniel. So once they made this little secret plan, a few of them went to the king and they said, Oh, King Darius, may you live forever. We, the faithful governors of your kingdom, were discussing things. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if you made a law that for one entire month, everyone prays only to you? Because you don't want people who can't commit to that in your kingdom, right? After all, you are the king. You're definitely worthy of everyone's worship. And anyone who refuses to spend just one month, one measly month, praying only to you and not to other gods or other people must be thrown into a den full of hungry lions. Oh, and just so everyone knows you're serious, you should make it the kind of law that cannot be repealed. And King Darius thought that sounded pretty great. What better way to unite his kingdom than have everyone pray to a single god? And what better god than that than his majesty, King Darius himself? Besides, everyone in the kingdom prayed to a bunch of gods. This probably wouldn't even be a problem. And if it was a problem, then they hated him and were probably traitors, right? But maybe you have spotted the problem. I don't know why King Darius didn't know about the problem. The problem, of course, is that Daniel was no heckin' way gonna pray to King Darius, and he wasn't gonna stop praying to God. Well, Daniel always prayed at the same time every day, three times a day, and when he heard this decree, he went home, he opened his window facing Jerusalem, and he prayed to God, asking for help and praising God, just like he did three times a day every day. And for the whole day he did that, just when he would normally pray, he did it. And aha, gotcha, the administrators, the governors spying on him, saw him through the window. And of course they went to the king and they said, um, didn't your majesty make a law that for 30 days everyone could only pray to you? And the king's like, oh yes, I made that law and it cannot be repealed. And they said, well, Daniel, that exile from Judah, he doesn't respect your decree. He still prays to that one God three times a day. And King Darius was like really distressed because now he realizes what he had done. And he really did like Daniel and he wanted to save him. But the administrators reminded him that the king's edict couldn't be erased or canceled and it applied to everyone. So the king's just like, okay, well, I guess I have to arrest Daniel. So they went and arrested Daniel. And they took him to the den of hungry lions, and King Darius said, very sincerely, I think, I hope your God rescues you. They rolled a stone over the den of the lions, and no one was allowed to remove it. The intention, obviously, is that the lions will eat anyone that gets thrown to them because they're so hungry. And people tried to entertain the king to distract him, but he sent everyone away. He, he wouldn't hear jokes. He wouldn't watch dancing. He wouldn't listen to music. He wouldn't eat food. He wouldn't sleep all night long. He just tossed and turned, worrying about Daniel. And as soon as a little light came up, and boom, it was morning, he jumped out of his bed. He ran out of his castle. He ran to the den of lions. And as soon as he got close enough, he yelled, Daniel! Are you okay? Was your God able to rescue you? And Daniel called back, God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth so they couldn't eat me because I'm innocent and didn't do anything wrong. I don't know that he said it that way. But anyway, he didn't do anything wrong. 
<laughs> he like throws that little jab in there. But the king was just like really excited. So he immediately sent men to get Daniel out of the lion's den. Um, after all, technically, he was thrown into the lion's den. The law did not say they had to leave him in there. So they pulled him back out of there, and not a single scratch was on him. The lions, he just, the lions just chilled all night long, and Daniel was perfectly fine. And then the king was really mad. And he's like, those guys who tried to get me to get Daniel killed, and it totally would have worked if God hadn't saved him, they tricked me, and I'm mad at them, so they get thrown in the lion's den. And they threw him, and the men didn't even hit the ground before the lions were like, rah! Try not to imagine that. And then the King Darius made a decree, which probably sounds familiar to you if you've listened to the past two episodes. He decreed that everyone in the kingdom must show honor to the god of Daniel, and Daniel was successful yet again, and maybe actually lived happily ever after, more or less, this time, under the reign of King Darius and the next king. That's a lot of, he's lived through a lot of kings, wow. Anyway, that's all I've got from Daniel for now. I may tell more later. There's some weird stuff in there. There's like a lot of prophecy, actually. The first part of the book is like adventure. And the next part is Daniel has weird dreams about the future. So I'll be back in a couple weeks. I haven't decided what story I'm telling yet because I'm a little behind in my writing. But hopefully I'll be back in, in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Uh, don't forget, like, you can support the podcast on Patreon. You can review the podcast on whatever, you know, Apple Music or however you listen. Reviews help people find the podcast, so I'd really appreciate that. But again, thanks for listening. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child. Star Child.